Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler and Dr. Kathy Greenberg is my co-host on the line. And we are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives perform in the top 10%. Today's show is about the power of relationships, developing leaders who coach with Fred Harburg. We'll take a closer look at how major global companies like Motorola and Fidelity Investments are teaching frontline leaders to develop relationship skills that help them become first-class coaches that produce high performance in today's challenging economy. Kathy and I, we always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics. That's the focus of our show, interviews with proven leaders, and we're also very interested in providing evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. Kathy, welcome. Thanks, Riley. Good morning. hope everybody's doing well out there today. We know that leaders are always the heart of any organization. They are the heartbeat of what you do every day, and most leaders really do underestimate just how much influence they have over others. And thus, they and their teams can underperform. But doing just a few things differently can drastically improve your performance and your organizations. What you'll learn in these shows from Relly and myself are how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, and all about emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, gender and gender differences. And we really love to talk about generation issues. We talk about millennials, the Xers, the boomers. And right now we're all working together in the same environment, and it is so important to understand those distinctions. We're going to talk about work-life balance practices. We're going to talk about strategies, managing your boss, which is a big one for me, self-management tools to be your best, plus many more tools and tips. And today's guest is Fred Harburg. Riley, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about Fred. Okay, good. Fred is the managing partner partner of Harburg Consulting as LLC. Fred is a respected consultant, writer, and speaker in the disciplines of leadership, strategy, and performance coaching. He has served in several significant international executive positions as both an internal and external organizational architect for Fortune 100 companies. And we'll have him talk more about that. In November 2002, the uh, issue of Chief Learning Officer magazine profiled Fred's successful performance as the Chief Learning Officer and President of Motorola University, which at its peak had over 1,000 faculty and staff and operated from 20 campuses around the globe. Before we, we bring on Fred, what we'd like to do is give some of the um, leadership evidence-based information that we know. Why do we talk so much about leaders? Well, leaders have between 50 and 70% influence over the climate of their team. And we also know that emotions are contagious, 
and leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. Both Kathy and I are um, certified coaches, and we know that if you bring uh, coaching to your organization, you can increase performance as much as 77% while increasing life and professional satisfaction as much as 50%. Also, if you bring coaching networks, and I'm sure Fred has, has done that, we'll ask how he does that, but if you bring that inside your company, studies show that it can uh, uh, happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. The key to being a star performer is someone performing in the top 10%, and we know now that is these emotional intelligence competencies. And as a leader moves up the corporate ladder, more and more of the competencies are from emotional intelligence rather than how smart the person is and their technical IQ. Why do we want more and better leaders? Leaders in the top 10% have produced twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And when you pair coaching with training, training in some research has showed to, to help productivity uh, about 22% increase. But if you have training and, in addition, coaching, the productivity can be enhanced 88%. So just having that one-on-one focus around the training issues, and we'll talk to Fred about that. If you're interested in more information and coaching for your organization uh, from Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. If you're interested in more information about me, my website is www.truenorthleadership for emotional intelligence, um, books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. Thanks, Raleigh. I cannot say enough today about Fred Harburg and his work, and I want to just tell our audience a little bit more about Fred, and then let's go right into an engaging conversation and get to the meat of this conversation today, which was um, really focused on how you get to create the best possible talent and then take that talent and turn it into what we would call the best possible type of leader who's a coach. So let me tell you a little bit about Fred. In 2003, Fred became Senior Vice President of Leadership and Learning at Fidelity Investments. And through these and many other demanding roles across Fred's history, he demonstrated the ability to realize critical business strategies and develop talent in people. Fred's achievements in the implementation of performance coaching, organizational transformation, talent management, integrated performance management, succession planning, and leadership development from entry level to senior executives has resulted in human performance systems that drive superior business results. His work in organizational development for the president of Saturn Corporation during its startup is particularly noteworthy. His degrees include a Bachelor of Science from the U.S. Air Force Academy and an MBA from UCLA. He served as a member of the Center for Effective Organizations Advisory Board at the Marshall School of Business at USC, and he's a member of the Chief Learning Officer Magazine Editorial Advisory Board, and that's a publication for which he writes a bi-monthly column on strategy. He is an advisory board member for Tufts University Institute for Global Leadership, and for the Human Performance Institute, and he is a senior fellow for the Trinity Forum. We are delighted to have Fred on today, and Fred Harburg Consulting can be reached at fredharburg at comcast.net. 
Welcome, Fred. Lovely to have you here today. Oh, thanks, Kathy. Riley, great to be with you both. Good. Well, Fred, uh, what we'd like to do is start off, uh, we'd start off a little general, kind of find out about you, but then we'll get very specifically into, you know, exactly what you do and some of the contributions. So tell us a little bit about yourself, who influenced your thinking and, and career most, or are there any kind of key heroes or folks that have really uh, inspired you? Uh, absolutely. You know, I um, started my career um, uh, teaching at the Air Force Academy after graduate school, mm-hmm. and I was teaching industrial organizational psychology, and I was also teaching the honors courses in leadership with a man who was the distinguished visiting professor at the uh, Air Force Academy. Every year uh, they choose three or four civilians to join the faculty. These are the distinguished visiting professors, and I had the privilege of working with one of them at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, His name was Dr. Lawrence Silverman. He was from Harvard University. He'd been the provost at the University of um, Colorado, and he was a brilliant um, uh, writer, historian, um, and uh, student of leadership through the ages. And um, I remember a specific day, uh, just a very quick story, a specific day after class, he said, let's take a walk. And so I said, great, Larry. And we... uh, uh, we're walking across the campus. Now, it's not a usual campus. Cadets running every place uh, at attention and stopping to salute and scream, good morning, sir, and, uh, <laughs> on, on the terrazzo, uh, the, the plaza and the, the main campus area. And I said, Larry, we just we can't walk across this. We'll never get across the terrazzo because I have to stop every two seconds and salute the cadets, and they'll have to greet me and just be a mess. And he said, well, Okay, and so we pulled over into the air gardens, and he watched the cadets screaming and yelling and running at attention, carrying her books, and, and he shook his head, and he said, you know what's wrong with this place? And I said, boy, Larry, that's a dangerous question to ask a graduate, because we make an avocation of saying what's wrong with the place, but what do you have in mind? And he said, there are no benches. <laughs> there are no benches. And, you know, it took me a minute to get it, but he was saying, and we talked about it for some time, that the heart of growth of a leader is reflection, uh-huh. of reflecting on their experiences and their relationships. And when they don't take time to reflect, they don't grow. And so he was saying, boy, you know, this is supposed to be a leadership development institution, yet it's so activity-based. We're just running like crazy, saluting and and so forth, and getting to the next class and memorizing, regurgitating, going on to the next thing. And doesn't that sound like corporate life? Doesn't that sound like life in general, that there's so little time for reflection? So Larry was a huge influence on my life as a very young man, thinking about how to help others grow. At the same time, there was another huge influence. His name was Bill Rosenbach. He was the head of the department at the Air Force Academy. Uh, We were teaching a little-known concept called situational leadership at the time by two guys named Hersey and Blanchard, professors out of Ohio State, and they'd just written this textbook. And um, uh, Rosie uh, taught me, uh, Colonel Rosenbach, (laughs) first of all, believed in me, and he opened the world of ideas, and he was rigorous about reading and examining everything that was going on and and, uh, being well-informed, both of these Men were huge influences in my life. You know, Fred, I I want to um, tap into that a little bit. I had some experience myself with the U.S. Army War College, so I understand mm-hmm. exactly sure. what you're talking about. Yeah. But you have, um, and your company, Harper Consulting, 
have a highly acclaimed process called Creating Coaching Capabilities. And I want to talk a little bit about how you became a coach and how you now relate to people knowing what you do using your Creating Coaching Capabilities process. Well, Kathy, I, I also taught at the Center for Creative Leadership. Mm-hmm. And years ago, in, um, you know, in 1980, uh, when I uh, first was adjunct faculty at uh, CCL, CCL was sort of a leader in the whole notion of um, helping leaders gain awareness about themselves. And it had a process that we called feedback. It really was not even called coaching in 1980. You know, this is a, a more recent phenomenon. I think coaching really developed starting around 1985. We'll hold that thought and we'll be right back with Leadership Development News and Fred Harburg. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadilocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors, cried the second. I hope it has a bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. If you want the tools to thrive in today's competitive workplace, you've come to the right place. Getting to the Top will teach you how to climb the ladder of success with diplomacy and integrity. Host Mark Murphy has been named the leadership guru and brings to talk radio advice on difficult management situations like giving your boss bad news and how to speak the truth without making people angry, which we all know will come in handy someday. Climb to the Top with Mark Murphy every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. That's Getting to the Top on Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. This is Dr. Relly Nadler with Dr. Kathy Greenberg. We're talking with... Fred Harburg from Harburg Consulting LLC. And just before the break, uh, um, you were going to tell us about your coaching, creating coaching capabilities. And maybe we can kind of pick up from there, Fred. Sure. You ask how I came to coaching, first of all, and yeah. then you ask about creating coaching capabilities. I was working at the Center for Creative Leadership, and we did a process called feedback giving. Um, so it was really more about uh, leaders understanding uh, themselves particularly around a whole set of psychometric instruments like the Myers-Briggs and the 360 feedback that we used called Benchmarks and the, uh, the Fire OB and the, um, psychometrics uh, that you would be familiar with. Um, but what we didn't do so much was, um, uh, or actually we were doing but not calling it, was, was proactive coaching of helping people to create plans and strategies and then to follow through diligently and I, I um, saw just how potent that was and, um, and, and it realized another thing, and that was when I ask, and I repeatedly and continue to do this today, ask very successful leaders, to what do you attribute your success? I mean, how did you, how did you become the really superb leader that you are? Almost never do they say, you know, it's those seminars. <laughs> it just doesn't come up on their list of things. What they talk about is their experiences and their relationships. And the best relationships were those that helped them think about, reflect on, as Larry would have said, reflect on and, um, and consider how to do better um, uh, with their experiences. So... You know, it, it was a natural evolution of recognizing that when I could help and when others, like uh, like both of you do so well, help leaders to reflect on and make um, better use of their thinking capabilities, that they started to grow immensely. And when they owned that, instead of me owned that, me owning that, then it was it was very huge. So. Um, by 1986, I found myself working at Saturn Corporation for the president as his um, head of organization development. And, um, and as a part of that process, started introducing the idea of coaching our leaders to be uh, more effective. They responded uh, immensely well to that. And so through the years at uh, General Motors and Williams Corporation and Motorola and Fidelity and, and lots of other places, Disney and a variety of places, I introduced the idea of people coaching, leaders coaching those that work for them and uh, helping to build their capability. And so this, your, your question about creating coaching capabilities, about helping leaders to, um, to see just how important it is to their effectiveness to coach others, and to gain the skills over time like you'd acquire any skill. This is a, a learnable skill um, that that's, um, makes a huge difference. If I could only change one thing in an organization to make it more financially and uh, emotionally productive, it would be to introduce this notion of effective relationships, of effective coaching relationships in the organization. That, that's so 
telling of where we are today uh, in the industry and how far we've come, you know, to be able to teach people how to treat each other with respect and offer the opportunity to be a coach to coworkers. When when you were just going back a little bit here, thinking about your your history and your your path to where you are today, when you were at, at Motorola, um, what, what was it like to be the chief learning officer? Well, first of all, it was a huge honor. Um, and uh, Motorola was the first major corporation to have a chief learning officer mm. and to have a university. And it was the largest university in the world. It was the largest corporate university in the world. It had immense reach, and it's a credit to the Galvins, to Bob Galvin and, uh, and to Chris, that they um, uh, supported this so immensely. It was actually Paul Galvin, uh, before Bob, the, the uh, grandfather uh, who started this, and he was so concerned about the fact that there was such illiteracy in um, the working ranks, and he, he felt that the corporation had a responsibility to help workers learn to read and write. And, and that was at the turn of the century. You know, Motorola started as the first company to offer um, radios in cars. It was the Motor Victrola. That's how the, the name was yeah. arrived at. The uh, whole issue of being the, the chief learning officer, on the one hand, was overwhelming um, because the task was so immense. On the other, it was so rewarding. Sadly, you know, Motorola has had an up-and-down history as um, uh, industry has, uh, um, has become more and more demanding. And so um, part of my job was to draw down Motorola University at a time when the company was literally losing billions of dollars. That was one of the hardest hmm. things I've ever done. As you're speaking, I can't help but ask this question. Sure. Um, when, when you introduced the idea of a chief learning officer, just the word chief learning officer, mm. that raised a whole consciousness um, yeah. across at least this nation about the importance of having somebody who headed up that critical function. Just a little bit about that. How was, how was that received? Well, you know, um, that's a great question because uh, the, the honest answer is in a mixed way. First of all, it was a huge plus for all of industry because it elevated the notion of, wow, to the C-suite, the idea of learning, learning as this um, leverage uh, tool, as this strategic advantage that could never be lost. I mean, parents often say to their children, I say to mine, I'm sure that uh, if you have children, you say to yours that you know, what you learn can never be taken away from you. And if you'll learn how to learn, not merely learn things, but learn how to learn. It will serve you for a lifetime. So the, the huge leverage that companies have that invest effectively in this learning dimension so that they can um, outthink and outgrow competitors is, is, um, is just immense. So a, a, an extreme positive. On the other hand, operational people in businesses often... I do not appreciate, especially I was not only chief learning officer, I was president. And so I was the only person other than the CEO in the company who had the title president. And that's, that uh, created uh, tensions that were not useful. Um, and so um, I'd say one of my greatest learnings in serving in that office was the need to, and I'd say that I fell short again and again, the need to really reach out to peers 
to build those relationships uh, like any leader uh, as opposed to uh, merely putting out great programs and, um, and providing best-of-class uh, training and coaching offerings that uh, reaching out to my peers to build a relationship with them was just as important. And if there's one thing I, w- I would love to do better, it, it, um, it would be that. So, Fred, just to, to jump on this last part you're saying, because I know for both Kathy and I working with executives, that what you just said is working with your peers sometimes gets relegated to second, third on the list. You know, you want to develop your team. You want Absolutely. to manage up. And I often say to folks, I think just what you said, if, if you want to move up in the organization, most likely the people you really need in your corner are your peers. Are they the ones that are saying, we want to see Fred in this position and to get away from the ego and jealousy and everything else? Absolutely. You're so right, really. And, um, again, I'd say um, guilty as charged in terms of my own. So one of, one of my personal huge learnings and one that I, I, um, enables me to help others more effectively is to see how I didn't do that as well as I should have. And I had great relationships and uh, a lot of mutual respect with my peers, just didn't put enough time mm-hmm. into it and didn't cultivate it enough uh, in the way that I really uh, wish I had. Well, just one other comment, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on to some of the other questions. I think just around the learning piece, like you're saying, that you're very interested in the brain neuroscience. Kathy and I uh, have some future guests who are um, really bringing this new field called neuroleadership into, into the world, you know, the neuroscience and leadership. But I think the question is, um, who's, who's doing the learning and who's connecting the dots? And, and I think for many managers, they think it's me. I'm the yeah. one who's doing it all. Right. Versus, I think your programs, and we'll get more into what those look like. You know, how do you get your people to do the learning, and for them to have the ahas, and for them to connect the dots? Yeah, I I would just add one thing to what you're saying, and that's the very exciting work that's being done right now in executive functioning, and of course, it's that frontal cortex portion of the brain. Right where people are able to think both long and short term simultaneously, consider all of the factors that impinge on an issue as opposed to thinking of it in isolation, consider who else might have information about this or need Mm -hmm. to be informed of this, of of being able to involve others in decision process. That executive functioning part of the brain is one of the least exercised and most exciting um, venues, uh, I'd say, of... um, where leadership is going. It's amazing. We are learning so much about the brain so quickly. The interesting thing to me is as a behavioral scientist, as an anthropologist, is our ability to absorb that (laughs) and evolve the brain fast enough to be able to actually leverage it. So to to get back to the coaching piece, if we start looking at executive functioning, and the capacity for for coaching and the opportunity for those of us in this world who are fortunate enough to play the kind of roles that you've played, what uh, what might be the differences that you saw perhaps across these organizations? I mean, first you see being a chief learning officer or the head of of learning at Saturn, and then you see it at Motorola, and, and then at Fidelity. Can you talk a little bit about what was different among those organizations? Is it really the, the founders? Is it the culture? What is it that allows for the true investment in learning? Yeah, well, I would say the culture is huge. And um, 
one of the things that um, I would even start before, I worked um, early in my career for a company called Rome, R-O-L-M. It was a Silicon Valley company. I'll tell you more about it in a moment. We'll be right back with Leadership Development News. Line in Business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 before every word there is a thought Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look. These are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Fred Harburg from Harburg Consulting, LLC. And Fred has a uh, wonderful history that he's been sharing with us as uh, chief learning officer and really one of the, sounds like one of the founders of the field. You were talking about some of your experience in uh, Silicon Valley with Rome just before the break. And maybe you can tell us about that. And also, as, as I hear you speak, Fred, I'm just wondering, you, you can't be that old to have these many jobs or these many contacts. <laughs> You've been there's, there's about a dozen different places you've been. <laughs> Okay. I have had I have had fabulous experiences, um, and uh, you know I, Thomas Jefferson, one of my heroes, 
uh, said it's actually not a direct quote, but it's a, a sort of a paraphrase, that at the end of your life, all you'll have is experiences and relationships. So you ought to make them extraordinary. Huh. And I have been blessed to have extraordinary uh, both relationships and experiences. One of them was at Rome Corporation. And uh, Rome was the envy of Silicon Valley, R-O-L-M. It was the first uh, digital voicemail system in the world, the first digital switching device in the world for a private branch exchange or corporate branch exchange. We call them PBXs and CBXs. I got um, uh, recruited into Rome, became um, the manager of training and development for one of the divisions, and uh, the world opened because Rome was an extraordinary culture. We were talking about the influence of culture and how learning and leadership development are impacted by a company's culture. Well, this was a culture that so respected people and so um, uh, realized the potential of the energy for people to make a difference in the business um, that uh, it was remarkable. It was written up, I believe, five years in a row as the number one company in that book, The 100 Best Companies in the, the mm -hmm. U.S. to Work For, and it was amazing. Uh, company. Um, there, just one quick story that they, after you'd worked at Rome for uh, five years, uh, you got a paid sabbatical of three months. Mm. And uh, during that sabbatical, you were encouraged to do something that was philanthropic. If you could do it outside the borders of the U.S., that was even better. The stories that came back, the enthusiasm, the renewal that people came back to Rome with after um, having worked um, for five years, seven years for the company and then going out on sabbatical and coming back was amazing. Um, so what I would say is about companies that as you walk through the doors, if you're sensitive, you can start to feel the culture as you just uh, walk through. It's that unspoken, um, ineffable presence that tells you how things are done around here, uh, uh, how things happen, how you get ahead, what you need to watch out for, what you need to use, and, and so forth. And, and leaders who are astute about observing the culture and then both respecting and shaping it in an even more positive way uh, have a, a terrific advantage over others. Great. I wanted to ask you, um, you you've been doing um, a lot of work with, with companies in creating very dynamic interventions that cultivate the kind of leadership you were just talking about. They create high culture. They create high collaboration and high engagement. What, what kinds of programs um, have you been focusing on recently, and how have you been using these programs to, to develop coaching with frontline leaders? Well, it really relates to what we were saying before about some of the, the uh, neurosciences because the fact is that uh, what, what coaching should be in my mind and in my experience and what I'm doing with many companies right now with, uh, with really exciting results is helping leaders to help their people use their brains more effectively. Mm. A, a coach, I actually don't really like the term coach because <laughs> I've heard that before. Because it's laden with all sorts of um, um, stuff from sports and so forth. Much of it not positive about the coach screamed and yelled at me and and embarrassed me, humiliated and so forth. And and so people immediately go to an athletic metaphor when they think about mm -hmm. coaching. 
And some of it is very positive. I mean, I was always a varsity athlete and benefited from it greatly and, and was a coach myself, and, um, and so that, that was all useful. But, but overdone, and the athletic metaphor is perhaps not the best one because the kind of coaching that I find to be most useful is when you are not a uh, coach in an athletic sense but a thinking partner. And so I more and more mm-hmm. use the term thinking partner as opposed to coach. And what a coach does and what I do in my programs is teach leaders how to help those that they work with and those who work for them to use their brains more effectively, to think more effectively. And uh, that ends up being an enormous contribution. Well, that's, uh, that term that you're saying, Fred, thinking part is both something that I, that I like to use and I think Kathy likes to use uh, also. Um, maybe... Just to kind of give us an idea, because I know um, our audience, we have a lot of people who are in, in organizations uh, who either are coaches or in uh, organizational development. What, what kind of programs do you have? Are they, are they training with coaching, training by itself? Um, yeah. You know, just kind of give us a, sure. maybe an idea of what it looks like. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, first of all, the, the whole focus on what I do is to help leaders improve their coaching skills. Um, I, I absolutely am an external coach to executives, and I think there's a vital role for external coaches, but there's an um, abdication on the part of most leaders to accept their responsibility for coaching people. And so they'll often it's often easier for them to say, hey, I've got business to do. Right. Um, l- let me give you some budget. Why don't you go get an external coach? And uh, then it sets up an artificial relationship at times between the boss and the employee and um, an external coach. And uh, I know both of you are um, are um, smart enough and um, and and professional enough to make sure that you manage the relationship with the real boss as well, because when that is missing. I find an enormous disconnect takes place. It it lets the leader off the hook. Mm -hmm. Um, They then um, uh, do everything other than some of the most essential aspects of of being a leader in a relationship with their people. So I try to create accountability for leaders to show them just how important managing that relationship is and how much they're losing, how much is falling off the table when they aren't effectively coaching their own people. I, I break it down into saying that, you know, essentially the biggest muscle that, um, that people bring to the workforce today is, is their brain and uh, using their brain um, in a variety of different ways. We are knowledge workers uh, for the, the most part. And even those who are in more traditional, uh, although it's a dwindling part of our population, a, a more traditional manufacturing um, role, we absolutely want people on the factory floor using their brain uh, effectively to figure out how to do um, the job um, in a higher and, and better way. So I, I see, uh, first of all, that uh, we ask um, our workers to do four things, essentially. That is, we ask them to solve problems, and, and we ask them to make plans, and, and we ask them to make decisions, and we ask them to learn and grow skills and abilities and, and so forth. Each of those has a unique um, character, each of those uh, four things that we ask. And almost everything that we ask um, our workforce to do can be divided into those, those four mm. 
segments. So then the question is, how can you, in a fairly simple but not simplistic way, break down those four to be more effective in doing each? And how can a leader become involved in coaching um, the people who work for and with them to be more effective in doing that? And the first rule, the first approach is that uh, people are far more likely to take their own advice Mm -hmm. than yours. And so it's not really a matter of teaching coaches to advise others. It's uh, a matter of teaching them, again, to be thinking partner, to be help the person reflect, you know, help the person tease out their own thinking and to come up with possibilities that um, they aren't uh, currently engaged in thinking about. So, so Fred, what, what do you think people really learn about themselves mm. in this process? Yeah, I, I, uh, that's a great question, and I, I think they learn um, a handful of things. One of the things they learn is to trust themselves more than they do. Uh, on the other hand, one of the things they learn is not to be as selfish, because when a, um, we're all self-interested, but part of the life journey is moving from selfishness to a larger agenda, an agenda that's greater than our own. And um, and what happens uh, oftentimes in these coaching situations is people see that they can be of greater service. They can actually make a larger contribution and be a part of something that is really meaningful. And um, I couldn't help but hear in the introduction to the program that you're both interested and fascinated as I am in the next generation of leaders. And I can tell you the next generation of leaders will not accept our definition of success. The, um, the last generation's definition of right. success. Right. They're looking for meaning. And in a coaching environment, when the coach can help the learner to see that they could do something of meaning and value that could serve a broader agenda than their own, it becomes very exciting, and they tap into levels of energy that they were unaware they had. Well, so that's a, uh, an incredible thing is that as far as the, sometimes we talk about the leadership Legacy, you know, if you're training people to ask good questions and to use, help people develop their brain, um, that leadership legacy that they're leaving, uh, sometimes generations later, people will benefit. That this leader may be off, you know, to Fiji. They've retired, and people are still doing some of the same things they may have uh, started a long time ago. Yeah, ultimately, um, really, it, uh, most people aren't going to remember how many acquisitions they completed or how many zeros were behind their name, but they will remember when they did something that substantively changed the quality of life for millions of others. Well, we'll come right back to Leadership Development News with Fred Harburg. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and 
and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News with Dr. Raleigh Nadler and myself, Kathy Greenberg. And we've been talking to Fred Harburg of Fred Harburg Consulting, LLC. But we were just talking about the idea that learning as an executive in this coaching process is so important. They learn to trust themselves, uh, to be of greater service to others, and tapping into levels of energy, which we like to call that sense of purpose, having a meaning in life. We think that that is so important to teach people because they can really become such wonderful, elevating coaches for the people around them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You bet. Um, You know, people run out of steam when they don't have that. Um, I think the the great and um, well-known book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, made it really clear uh, when... When he observed people in the prisoner of war camps that didn't have a purpose for living, they literally could will themselves to death within four hours. Within four hours, they'd walk in the camp and see the devastation around them. They could lie down and will themselves to death. And those who had a strong sense of purpose, in spite of the horrific things that happened to them, the deprivation, the uh, emaciation, the mistreatment, the um, uh, horrific things around them survived against all odds. Um, you know, fortunately, and we're not in that situation. 
right now in corporations or in our, our world. But we are in a situation where purpose is just as important as it was at that time. And coaches have the opportunity to help others. And managers and leaders who will pick up this mantle of coaching have the opportunity to help others tap into their sense of purpose in a way that is so empowering, that uh, so unleashes what they're capable of doing. And if they don't, much is lost. So, you know, one of your questions was um, that, that came in, I believe, from, from someone who's listening today was, well, you know, what's lost? What, what do you mean that something is lost uh, if we don't do this coaching? The discretionary effort that is available to people, I think you mentioned some of the statistics, and I, I really love that, that you are evidence-based and that the, the two of you are rigorous in, in what you do. That, you know, this whole notion of increasing performance by 77% um, uh, in in using this sort of coaching, you think about 77% as a return on the investment for tapping into the discretionary effort, the uh, effort that people, the engagement level to which they could go versus that which they do go. You're, I'm sure, aware of the Gallup studies, 42 independent studies that show that when people have a lower level of engagement, that uh, um, there's a, a, a enormous cost. And um, what their data shows is that only about 25% of our workforce is engaged. About uh, 17% of the workforce is actively disengaged. That means they are actively working to sabotage and bring down the companies that are paying them. And the rest are sort of stuck in neutral. They're kind of trying to get to the finish line, get to uh, retirement, which, by the way, is a horrific goal because the date on a retirement shows, and uh, there was a major study that was done when uh, I was the CEO of, of one of the major firms, that people retiring at age 65 live on average 19 months after uh, an executive, after retirement. And so this, uh, boy, I'm going to have a good time then, um, is a false promise. If, if we're not having a good time now and contributing now, then um, uh, then it really, really is um, a, a shadow that we're, we're chasing. And I think, Fred, all that, that you're saying here is so, so va- valuable, uh, this information, and I think for the listeners, if, if what we try to do, Kathy and I, is if they can get you know one or two things that they could do a little different that can help them be more engaged, to help them be more involved. You know, it's what we call these micro initiatives. That's the key. And what we wanted to do is um, talk a little bit about just succession planning. We know that's a big issue that I'm sure you're involved and in, kind of maybe shed some light to as as the boomers are retiring. Supposedly, 78 million boomers retiring and 48 million Generation Xs, Xers coming in to their, their field of positions. Not only do we have less people, but they <clears throat> have been known the, to have a little less emotional intelligence because of technology. Right. What, are, what are some of the things that you're finding successful in developing this next level of leadership? Yeah, well, uh, first succession and then succession planning. I'd okay. say 
um, uh, we have, as you said so well, uh, really, we have this situation where the baby boomers are retiring. They're, uh, the first wave is just starting right now, and we're going to see a flood of people uh, retiring. Although I have to say that some of that data is suspect because the, they're going to go kicking and screaming. Um, many of them really don't want to become, quote, retired. Uh, baby boomers don't see themselves as of retirement age. They don't like the word retirement. They don't like the notion of retirement. They'd like to have a more sane life. They'd like to have something that is uh, um, less um, hectic, um, and they'd like to be able to do some of the things that they want to do, but the idea of retiring in general is actually not very appealing. So they're kind of going kicking and screaming, and the fact is that we have the perfect opportunity to invite those baby boomers into uh, helping with the succession issue by becoming coaches to the next generation. So all the tacit knowledge, all the wealth of experience that they've gained, the stuff that's really hard to write about, if they can prevent themselves from uh, being expert advisors mm-hmm. and, and be real coaches to helping the next generation discover those things, but discover them more quickly than they might have without a thinking partner, then there's a huge role for them. Now, succession planning itself I was responsible for it in the last two jobs that I was in in corporate America, and it is tough. And the reason it's tough, it's laden and and mixed uh, with a whole set of other issues. And uh, I, I, in many ways, learned what not to do from things I did in this area, and uh, fortunately some things were very effective as well. But succession planning works best when people focus on critical positions and don't become so personality-focused. When uh, you have senior executives in corporation playing armchair psychologists, which is what succession planning often devolves into, it's dangerous and not productive. And so to try to elevate the conversation to one that is fact-based and one that's evidence-based and one that is uh, bounded with uh, some structure is really important in succession planning. So focusing on positions first and uh, people second and personalities last in in terms of this. Um, I would say also helping um, executives to understand their own giftedness, their own strengths, and then employ them in areas where they can use their strength as opposed to placing them in areas where there's greater prestige is a really crucial. It's very hard to uh, say no to something that pays highly uh, that is uh, highly esteemed in the organization, but for which you are poorly suited. And so helping people have the confidence to say no to physicians and the organization not to push people into positions for which they're poorly suited. Fred, you have been a terrific, terrific guest, and we want people to be able to reach you at fredharberg at comcast.net. Thank you so much. Uh, next week we're going to be talking to Jess Price-Jones of EyeOpener, And we invite everybody to come back. This has been Leadership Development News. Thanks. My privilege. Uh, Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel. 